Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Sunday, July 26th. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. It is week two of FAB for this abbreviated 2020 season. Lots to talk about again. Not quite as robust as far as impact players as we look back at what we were talking about last week. I mean, Aaron Hicks and Ioannis Cespedes, some of the players who had become healthy since a lot of leagues drafted in March. Those guys were available, and they were worth really smashing the fab piggy bank to go get. Not really a talented group quite like that, but definitely some interesting players and some very bumpy closer performances over the first weekend that could at least lead us to some speculative bids on cheap relievers who could end up emerging to take on some save opportunities a bit later on. Of course, if you're listening to this show, hopefully you're already a subscriber to The Athletic. If you're not, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash podcast. That includes all of the written work that we do. That would include things like the ads and drops column I wrote that sort of serves as an outline for this. It covers the rankings, the projections, League-wide coverage, team coverage, other sports, everything. So if you root for Watford Football Club and the Seattle Mariners <laughs> and the Atlanta Falcons, we cover all those teams. So that's pretty nice. You can't get that really anywhere else under one roof. How's it going for you on this Sunday, Beller? It's going good, man. I'm feeling good. I'm uh, loving this first weekend of the baseball season. Anyone who listened to this show on Friday knows that our Cubs Brewers opening weekend bet comes down to Tyler Chatwood versus Freddie Peralta today. So I'm looking forward to that game getting started in a few hours here, at least from when you and I are recording. Uh, and just really excited for this full, for our first full Sunday of baseball in what, like 10 months? It's pretty darn great. Yeah, and it's an Otani day too. So I think that's the thing I've been really looking forward to the most uh, outside of my rooting interest, just seeing Shohei Otani pitch again. I know. During summer camp, he had some issues with command, so I'm very curious to see how he fares in his first start of 2020 going up against the A's. Uh, Angels-A's like is a sneaky, fun mm-hmm. matchup series-wise, uh, by the way. So if you see that one pop up on the schedule again in the near future, definitely seek that out as part of your late-night viewing routine. So let's talk about some players who are available in FAB this week. He's not available in a ton of leagues, but I do think we have to begin by talking about Dustin May. The Dodgers have confirmed that he will have another start. That's coming Wednesday against the Astros. Some good news here is that Clayton Kershaw's MRI came back clean. He had that taken after he suffered an injury lifting weights last week. So it's possible that it's only one more start for May before he goes back either to the alternate camp. (laughs) We really need another name for that. That is so dystopian, so creepy. It's very bad. It's very 2020. (laughs) It's... uh, (laughs) I immediately just think of, of Orwell in 1984. Yeah, yeah. why can't oh, we just it, call it like they're, they're like training camp or something? Like it has to be alternate site. Like that al- is just, alternate site. He's been that, optioned to the alternate site. It just sounds like we're never going to see him again. Yeah, it sounds like an Area 51 <laughs> yeah. sort of situation. Uh, so Dustin May may only get one more turn, and it's on the road against Houston. So I like the pitcher. I like the talent. I don't like the matchup. And the situation beyond that start is a little bit up in the air. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that Alex Wood got knocked around by the Giants in his first start. And if you're looking up and down that rotation for the starter most likely to falter, I think Alex Wood is that. Even though he seemed to be kind of ahead of Ross Stripling back at spring training 1.0, I think Alex Wood 
has a better chance of simply losing his hold on a rotation spot because of a couple of bad starts. So you could see a scenario maybe where Wood gets hit again, Kershaw comes back next weekend, and May somehow sticks in the rotation. It just feels like you want to be careful in leagues where May is available because you're not necessarily going to pick him up and use him right away against the Astros, and there's no guarantee that the third start is actually right around the corner. Yeah, it's more the latter than the former that concerns me with Dustin May because we just don't know what this Dodgers rotation and what his fit in it is going to look like in the next couple of weeks. So that's what concerns me. Obviously, you don't love a matchup with the Astros, but we all watched him on opening day against the Giants. I mean, you just don't see a pitcher who is able to pair all the things that he has in his repertoire together the way that he does. I mean, the way that he throws his two-seam fastball, 99 miles per hour, darting away uh, from lefties into righties. I mean, you just don't see that brand of pitch combined with the off-speed stuff that he has, too. I would love to buy a lot of future Dustin May stock. I am not totally comfortable with what things are going to be like for him over the next couple of weeks. It's hard to know when that third start, when that fourth start potentially is going to come, as you said, and it's hard to just bet on Alex Wood eventually losing a spot in the rotation, especially when you look at what Dustin May's um, offerings are and what his game is and see that that is something that could play up very well in the bullpen. And I think that's part of the reason why Ross Stripling was behind Wood to begin with, was they, they were comfortable with Ross Stripling in this long relief role, and maybe they just feel like Alex Wood, for better or worse, is just best suited to be a starter, even if he's got a four and a half ERA a few times through the the rotation. So it's hard to gamble on May, especially if you're just going to get one start against a very good Houston offense and then have him get moved to the bullpen. Yeah, I think that's why the bid recommendations from the article, I mean, 12 team leagues, I was at five to 7%, 15 teams, seven to 10%. They more reflect the uncertainty about Kershaw and what May could do rather than the reflection of a guy who's going to have more mm-hmm. starts. If we knew Dustin May were locked in, those recommendations would be higher. So those are even kind of risky bids, I think, at the rate they're at. I think if you're bidding on him, you have to do it knowing that there's a chance that you have to wait a couple of weeks even after this start against Houston before he gets the ball again. Uh, the other really interesting name who I was surprised to see was available in a decent number of leagues was Ender Inciarte. Speed is difficult to find. Injuries limited him to 65 games this season, and I think at worst he's a big side platoon guy. He is a good defender in the outfield. We saw him take back at least an extra base hit from J.D. Davis. I was scolded in the comment section of the article for suggesting it looked like a home run. I thought it was going to be a home run because I saw a very straight-on camera angle. So, again, my apologies if I offend anybody. He's available in 91% of CBS leagues, and I think this is a really important point that was made over the weekend. Uh, Jenny Butler, good NFBC player, uh, listener, and friend of the show, pointed out that on the CBS pod, Scott White was talking about how their ownership numbers might be skewed right now by abandoned leagues, so they might be on the low side just in general. Nevertheless, Ender Inciarte's roster rate is lower than what we see listed next to Gerard Dyson and Malik Smith. And my best argument for Enciarte includes, one, he's in a better lineup than both of those guys, and two, he actually has a little bit of power. And Malik Smith and Gerard Dyson don't. And I think when you look at the way those three teams are built, the Mariners and Pirates are going to find reasons not to play Smith and Dyson, respectively. And the Braves are going to keep playing Enciarte throughout this season. So I feel like the roster rate should be totally reversed. I think Ender Enciarte should be 
at least unavailable in half of all fantasy leagues. I think he's playable even in 10-team leagues, at least on occasion. Might be a guy that in a daily moves league, he's on the roster, off the roster a few times. But I couldn't believe the ownership rate for Ender Inciarte when I saw that prior to writing the column. And again, steals are at a premium. It's a good lineup. And the other thing about this, too, that I didn't really talk about this during draft season, when you add the universal DH the NL, being the eight-hitter in an NL lineup doesn't have the same negative connotation anymore. It doesn't mean you get more red lights on the base pass because you got a pitcher hitting behind you. So I think there's a lot more to like with Inciarte than people realize, and he's definitely one of my favorite hitters to target in leagues where he's available this week. Love the lineup part of this that you point out. Love anyone who's part of this Atlanta lineup. I think that's one of the biggest things that he has going in his favor. I mean, we already have the case, though, that he has started one game. He started on Friday, and then he didn't start on Saturday. So I'm not totally comfortable with where his playing time is going to be over the full season. But if you're telling me I can have him, Malik Smith, or Gerard Dyson, I would rather have Inciarte because, as you said, he's just a more well-rounded player. He just does a lot more. Gerard Dyson and Malik Smith, those are literal one-category players. Maybe Malik Smith uh, gives you a little bit in the runs department, but those are basically, for all intents and purposes, one-category players. And that's just not true from Inciarte, even though he is not as great a player in that one category as Dyson and Smith are. I would still rather take a little bit of a step back in speed and get something in the other categories, and they just don't give you that they being Dyson and Smith. So I am with you that if you are already looking at someone like Gerard Dyson or Malik Smith, or if you own Gerard Dyson or, Al- or Malik, uh, Malik Smith, Alex Malik, you know, it's it's <laughs> 9.30 in the morning. Let us uh, give us a little break here. I think uh, Ender Inciarte is just the better overall, more well-rounded player. He's just going to give you more across the board. There's more value there for sure. And I don't think it's impossible, even though it seems unlikely that they could shuffle things around if he couldn't end up in a more prominent spot in the mm-hmm. line. It's probably more likely to be the result of an injury. But I do think the point you made about Inciarte sitting on Saturday is good to hammer home. I think he sits usually against lefties. Right. In lefty-lefty matchups most of the time, he'll go to the bench, they'll play Adam Duvall, they'll yeah. play somebody else, and they'll take a little hit defensively. They can move Acuna from right to center on those days, and you know mm-hmm. they're fine going that route. If you look ahead at the Braves' upcoming schedule... They will only face two lefties in the next 14 days starting on Monday. So, I mean, they have 14 games during that stretch as well. They have a four-game series, well, two two two-game series against the Rays, a home-and-home, three more against the Mets, and then a fourth game against the Mets to begin the following week, three against the Jays, and three on the road against the Phillies. We don't know who's starting for the Phillies, but the Phillies don't have a left-handed starter unless Ranger Suarez is healthy and in the rotation. So... He's going to sit probably twice in the next 14 games. So you're getting six games each of the next two weeks from Ender Inciarte. So the schedule also working in his favor. But definitely keep an eye on that in future weeks. I think it's one of the more important things that everybody who would kind of let that slide in the past needs to be focusing on that. You need to maximize games. You need to make sure that your platoon players don't have a terrible week. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit with the the Rockies, I think, were a team that we talked about on Fantasy Baseball in 15 for the Friday show, they only have five games during the upcoming week, and one of those comes against a lefty over the weekend. So if you're playing in a weekly league and you're rostering Sam Hilliard, he's going to play four times next week. That's a pretty big difference when you have a lot of teams that are going to play six or seven games. Yeah, it's definitely something to pay attention to. It's one of those things that I agree. I am definitely guilty of 
letting that get lost in the wash over a full 162 because it's a full 162. But those little, little things that we don't pay attention to in a normal season are going to make quite a bit of difference this year. So it's something that uh, I definitely recommend taking a look out at the probable probables, right? Probables are not going to be what we have come to expect them to be uh, this season, but it's something that you got to keep an eye on this year more than in any other year. Yeah, I'm definitely there with you. And I think to that end, two Blue Jays really stuck out. I mean, Travis Shaw was hitting cleanup in the opener <laughs> on Friday night. Rowdy Telez getting playing time right now as well, kind of serving as the primary DH. The way they're configured, they can actually play Shaw, Vlad Jr., and Telez from third, first, and in the DH spot. That could be the default. I think where it gets complicated is if they're completely healthy in the outfield, they have a player in Derek Fisher who could kind of push his way into the lineup and cause one of the other outfielders, Teoscar Hernandez, maybe occasionally Randall Gritchick. One of those guys could be used as the DH, but Shaw in particular, I mean, trying to bounce back from a very disappointing 2019 in Milwaukee, had back-to-back seasons where he hit more than 30 home runs. Hitting in the heart of this order gives him a really nice chance to bounce back. I don't know how long they're going to wait if he does go into some sort of slump, but the Jays have seven games in the upcoming week, and they are all against right-handed starters. So both Shaw and Rowdy Telez are absolutely on my radar. Shaw might be a guy you pick up and actually hold on to a little bit longer. Rowdy Telez might be more of a streamer for a lot of mixed leagues. Yeah, I think you diagnosed that exactly, so I'll just uh, add to the Travis Shaw party here. This was one of my favorite late-round targets during draft season, whether it was the draft season we just finished or the draft season that we had to put on hold back in March. I think that this is a prime bounce-back candidate. You said it, the back-to-back seasons with 30-plus homers, had 101 RBI in the first year, 86 in the second, and then last year, just injuries crushed him. Guy only played 160 games. He only had 270 plate appearances. Injuries just didn't let him be the sort of guy who we had become accustomed to him being in 2017 and 2018 for the Brewers. Now it seems like the injury concerns are comfortably in the rearview mirror for him. He's hitting cleanup, which is great in any lineup, but you're talking about being surrounded by Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and Lourdes Curiel. I mean, there is a lot to like about the catbird seat that he finds himself in, um, I guess, in Buffalo most of the season, half the season in Buffalo, half the season on the road, a full road season for these Toronto Blue Jays. But I really, really like this player a lot. I think that Travis Shaw is one of the prime guys to be going after this weekend. Keep an eye on the schedule the following week. As it stands up right now, the Jays actually will face uh, lefties in their first two games of the week against Atlanta. So again, it, it could be a one-and-done for Rowdy Telez especially, mm-hmm. but the thing that stands out about Telez, he's one of those guys that he was tied for 27th in max exit velocity last season, 90th in average exit velocity, and that was out of, I think, 589 players. I think I lowered the filter down to about 50 batted ball events to really get a look at just about everybody in the league. I think he's a little bit less of a free swinger than the strikeout rates at the big league level have shown us so far. If you go back and look at some of his spray charts in the minor leagues, he can use the entire field a little bit more than you'd think for kind of a lumbering first base DH type. He brings that K rate down, especially the way he hits the ball. There could be a pretty nice payoff for him. So definitely two guys that you want for this week. And maybe Travis Shaw sticks on your roster beyond given the quality of this rising Jays lineup. Uh, Shed Long caught my eye this weekend, Beller, because he was leading off for the Mariners to begin the season, and I think it's pretty clear they want Shed Long to play at least every time they face a right-handed starter. I think they're in a position, though, as a rebuilding team. Give them a chance to face some lefties, too. You know, The only way any guy is going to learn how to hit a lefty is to see more of them. And 
if they give him that opportunity, even if they drop him in the order against lefties and then lead him off against righties, we've seen some power, we've seen some speed, we've seen pretty good plate skills from Shedlong as well. And I think we've rostered significantly worse players skills-wise than Long simply because they had an opportunity to lead off on a rebuilding team. I think Hanser Alberto is a guy who comes to mind as someone who was very heavily utilized by the second half of last season in Baltimore. Long's a lot better than that. And uh, I think this Seattle team, for, for being one that I think you can pick on a bit with pitchers, it's not completely atrocious, right? It's not quite in the, the bottom of the barrel with the Orioles uh, and, and with the Giants at this point. Like Those two teams are just in a league of their own for futility. So I think the supporting cast, at least near the top of the order, has a few exciting bats in it, and Long could quietly be one of those guys who went undrafted in a lot of mixed leagues but ends up sticking out a lot of rosters. I have no concerns really about his playing time either. Back in March when I talked to all of our beat writers for our special beat writer shows when I had Corey Brock on the AL West show, he said that Scott Service, the uh, Mariners manager, was totally committed to letting the youngsters play. They went into this season wide-eyed knowing exactly what they have and frankly what they don't have on this Mariners team. And just because it's a 60-game season in which teams are going to be more likely to be able to compete doesn't mean that they're going to change their long-term plan. So I think Shed Long is going to be able to play basically every single day. I think you have it right. He leads off against righties. He moves down in the lineup against lefties, but not out of the lineup against lefties because they want to know what they've got in this guy. They want to know, is he a platoon player or is he someone who can play every single day for us in the future when maybe we're ready to compete again? So I think we're going to see plenty of Shed Long this season. I think that the Mariners would be doing themselves a disservice if they did anything other than that. And as you said, a little bit of everything. There's something to like about him. There's some speed. There's a little bit of power. There's some on-base ability, certainly against righties, and that's why you're going to see him at the top of the order. And you know, with some of the bats in this lineup, uh, Dan Vogelbach, first guy who comes to mind, like there's not uh, a, a bereft, um, not empty run scoring ability at the top of this order. So I do think that he is someone who ultimately becomes interesting. I just really think we're going to basically see him in this lineup every single day. And that right there is a, a huge part of the battle for a youngster who we're hoping to get some speed from. Just getting the opportunity to play and to get on base and to steal those bases is a huge, huge thing. And I think Shed Long's going to have that all year. His teammate, Kyle Lewis, has homered a couple of times already, back-to-back games to start the season. There's definitely swing and miss in Kyle Lewis's approach. That was on display during his uh, brief opportunity with the Mariners at the end of last season. But he had six homers in 18 games down the stretch last year, too. And I think he'll hit higher in the order in Seattle than he would pretty much anywhere else at this point. We're talking about a guy who's lost a lot of development time uh, because of injuries. He's had a lot of knee trouble since the Mariners drafted him. But big-time pedigree. This is a guy who was an 11th overall pick in 2016. Has 70-grade raw power. Looking at the Fangraph scouting report on him, I mean, that checks out just based on the little bit of StatCast data we have and everything that people thought about Kyle Lewis coming into that 2016 draft. It's going to be a question of how much the hit tool develops to determine whether or not he's a, a low-average, big-power guy or if he can become something a bit more. But I think in the same same thought process of Shed Long playing pretty much every day, I think the Mariners are also going to play Kyle Lewis a lot too. So if you're looking for... You know, maybe some batting average risk, but big power, and you need that on the waiver wire, I think Kyle Lewis can actually provide that. I think maybe in 12-team leagues is probably the cutoff. I don't know if I'd go any smaller than that right now, but I'm definitely intrigued by him because I think the amount of time he's missed with injuries has kind of let some people forget how good he was supposed to be coming out of college. 
Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy not only 11th overall pick, but 11th overall pick after playing his college ball at Mercer. So, you know, I mean, great great baseball programs across the South, but Mercer's not necessarily one that jumps right out at you. So this is a guy who really uh, made his presence known while he was in college and earned his way all the way up to that 11th overall pick. I saw the homer on Friday live. I did not see the one uh, that he hit uh, the next day, but man. That one on Friday got out of the park in a hurry. I mean, that that shows you the raw power that he does bring. Another exciting guy, and again, just they're going to let these guys play. The Mariners are absolutely committed to letting their youngsters play, even if that means they go 10 and 50. Uh, and they are going to let these guys play because they know that if we're going to compete in 2022, 2023, Shedlong, Kyle Lewis, they have to be part of that. So let's take this 60 games that we have this season and see what sort of players these guys can be while also getting them the reps to growing them into the players that maybe they can be when they're ready to compete. Yeah, their Sunday lineup just dropped, and Long's leading off again. Lewis is hitting third. They got J.P. Crawford hitting second. Kyle Seeger's in that cleanup spot. I think Kyle Seeger's actually on the short list of players who could get moved at some point during this 2020 season. Evan White's hitting fifth. They're definitely looking to the future with four of those five guys, and it makes all the sense in the world. Now, the bottom half of that lineup is not great. Uh, <laughs> I think that's Jose Marmolejos, uh, Tim Lopes, Malik Smith, and Joe Hudson. To be completely honest, I did not realize Joe Hudson was a Major League (laughs) Baseball player until I saw his name in the lineup just now. And look, I spent a lot of time staring at player names and doing research. So uh, with all due respect to Joe Hudson, congrats on being a big leaguer. I'm just surprised to see you in a lineup today. Let's, uh, let's talk about some other catchers that people might be going after. Victor Caratini was the DH on Friday night for the Cubs. I was a little surprised by that. I mean, I... He's a good hitter, so it, it makes some sense. You just don't see teams usually willing to put both catchers in the lineup simultaneously. As someone who knows the Cubs inside and out, how much of that role do you think belongs to Caratini, even if he's alternating actually catching versus DHing a little bit uh, with Wilson Contreras? This was something that I talked about when we were first talking about the NL getting the DH, and we were talking, we were you, me, and Al on Fantasy Baseball in 15 were going through every single team. I thought that Caratini was going to have a pretty good opportunity to get some DH time because of the fact that the Cubs are a top-heavy offense, and they don't necessarily have a lot of guys in the bottom half of their order who they can count on. So they're not the sort of team who can take a look at, a, at something that Caratini did last year, 266, 348, 447 with 11 homers in 279 plate appearances and say, yeah, that's good, but he's our backup catcher. Like They just don't have that luxury when you have as much swing and miss as they have in their order, when you have some guys who you are hoping and have good reason to think can take a step forward, Ian Happ, Nico Horner, guys like that, but certainly no sure things. Uh, they need all the help they can get in the bottom of the order. So I was not actually all that surprised to see Victor Caratini get the DH assignment on opening day. And we know he's going to catch you Darvish. Every you Darvish start will have Victor Caratini behind the plate for the Cubs. And so you combine that with a couple of DH uh, appearances with maybe spelling Anthony Rizzo at first base every so often. I think there's enough playing time here for him to be a guy that you go after. Uh, and, and two catcher leagues, he's probably already owned. But if he's not, certainly there. But maybe even if you're looking at catchers and you're in a, just a one-catcher 15-team league and you don't love what you see, like there's something to be said for a guy, especially when we look at the catcher pool, who actually doesn't play every day, right? And is only put in in beneficial spots. There's something to be said for the ratio boost you might get from that. I actually like Caratini a bit this year. He switch hits, too, so mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a lock that he just falls into uh, big side platoon. But if 
that's what happens. That's still the better side to be on. I think he's a, a much better hitter than Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who you hate I've him. decided, you know, in Parks and Rec, <laughs> like Ben Wyatt doesn't understand little Sebastian at all. Like, he just doesn't understand why everybody loves the mini horse so mm-hmm. much. That's sort of my reaction to everybody bidding so much on Kiner-Falefa last week. I've decided that's where I fall. Like, I am, I am Ben Wyatt in this situation where I look around and I just I don't see it. Caratini at least has shown us he can hit big league pitching. He has some power. He was on basically like a 20 home run pace if you scale up what he did a year ago. And I think you're right. I think being you Darvish's personal catcher, there's 20% of the playing time right there, plus another probably three to four starts at least per week as a DH option. And you mentioned he can play a little first base if they have to give Anthony Rizzo a day off to rest his back. So Quite a bit to like there with Caratini. Kiner Falefa, the way I would describe him at this point is he's a high playing time floor guy because of his defense. If he hits more than you expect, great, you've won the lottery. But I see more of a like a hit tool that's pretty empty power-wise and a guy that's probably stuck in the bottom third of that lineup. If you look at the Rangers, they're not a team that people ever really pick to go to the playoffs. Maybe with 16 teams, they're a little more popular in that regard now. They're not a bad lineup. They're probably mm-hmm. more like in the league average range overall, but I'm curious to see how the park actually plays. We're expecting it to be a lot more pitcher-friendly because of the roof and the air conditioning. That makes a pretty big difference. I mean, we saw a one nothing game in the debut of that park on Friday night, which I can't remember the last time I saw a one nothing <laughs> game yeah. in Arlington <clears throat> in the middle of the summer, no less. That was pretty surprising. Uh, but you start looking at that lineup, I mean, Chu Andrews, Nick Solak, Todd Frazier, Joey Gallo, Danny Santana, you're not really dropping those guys in the order right. to bump Kiner Falefa up. So I think he's just stuck in the bottom third unless whatever he was doing against pitching in camp does somehow translate to regular season production. I just don't see it happening like that. So if they're both available, I'm on Caratini over Kiner Falefa. I do think in two catcher leagues, Connor Falefa is rosterable. I just don't understand why some people out there were throwing three-digit fab bids his direction last week. Uh, a couple games that people might be chasing, two homer games on Saturday from Phil Gosselin and Lurie Garcia. It's going to lead some people to want to bid something on them, and I just don't see how it's going to work out, especially for Gosselin. Like he's just a pure utility guy, and... Uh, if you somehow threw him in there as like a min salary player on DraftKings and, and won a bunch of money on Saturday, yes. maybe he's your new favorite player. <laughs> um, but I don't see him being someone we're going to pick up in in rotisserie leagues, NL only leagues. Sure, he could fill a spot for a buck or two, and uh, just any bit of playing time is good enough to usually get into the mix there. I think Lurie Garcia is a little more interesting because he moves around like Goslin, but I think the White Sox will prioritize playing him a little bit more. I'm just worried that Nick Madrigal is going to squeeze Lurie Garcia into a part-time role. I wonder how quickly the White Sox make that decision, though. I mean, are we going to see Nick Madrigal possibly next weekend as the White Sox secure that extra year of service time after the sixth day of the season? Yeah, I don't know. This is another guy who I talked a little bit about with our White Sox beat writer, James Fegan, back in March, and um, they like Lurie Garcia a lot. Uh, Rick Renneria really likes the versatility he brings to this team. Lurie Garcia got 618 plate appearances last year. He was basically an everyday player for the White Sox. And obviously, this is a different year with different circumstances and different players available uh, to Rick Renneria. This is a team that made a lot of investments uh, in its team during the offseason. So uh, Larry Garcia is someone who could certainly 
get squeezed, but Rick Renneria has shown his loyalty to players like this in the past, and they really like him. And the defensive versatility isn't just a thing that they have because he can move around. Like He is a plus defender pretty much anywhere that they put him, and that's an important thing, especially when you look at a team that, I mean, if the first two games that the White Sox have played are any indication, this is going to be the offense we expect it to be. So maybe they're comfortable, maybe, sacrificing a little bit of offense to get Lurie Garcia's glove on the field. And uh, he shows us, he showed us last year and he showed already early this year that there is a little bit of uh, offensive skill to his game. Obviously, the power uh, is a one-off thing. This is not someone who's going to suddenly hit 10 or 11 homers this season. Uh, but I do think there's a little bit of playing time comfort for him, at least for the next week or so. And you know exactly how much I love this offense, even if he's hitting ninth when he goes out there. I would not mind being invested in the White Sox with the cheap Larry Garcia for the next week until we see what they end up doing with Nick Madrigal. Yeah, give it give it a short-term low bid and, and kind of see what happens. I mean, there's a little bit of pop. There is some speed. There is some playing time right now. I just I still expect the bottom to fall out, at least in terms of having him as an everyday sort of guy. Yeah, agree. Uh, a little surprising. You look back at last season and even 2018, average exit velocity in the 88-mile-per-hour range does hit the ball a little harder than I would have expected doesn't draw a lot of walks, but also does put the ball in play enough at 22.5% with the K rate a season ago. And he might qualify everywhere. So of those two, Lurie Garcia, definitely the guy I'm more likely to chase. Uh, we know our guy, Nando Dofino, loves Lurie Garcia. Oh, so. my God. <laughs> it's probably, probably one of his sirens going off players. in his house, when those, especially when that second homer happened. I mean, who knows? I, would, like, I, I wouldn't want to have been Nando's wife when he hit that second homer. I asked him, how did you celebrate that two-homer game on Twitter? And he came back with, by obviously acting like we've been there before. <laughs> has, has, he ever done, has he actually ever had a two-homer game before? Like, I liked him a lot in the Fall League as a, a Ranger shortstop about 10 years ago. Um, but I like everybody I see in the Fall League because I'm watching baseball in, yeah. in October and November in, in beautiful weather. So I think the, the environment has a, an effect on my judgment. Uh, another interesting name that I wrote about in the column on the the pitching side, Brady Singer. He actually pitched uh, really well. I was thinking about in his you. debut. <laughs> I know it, it. It's okay. So I'm I'm not someone who really knew a lot about Brady Singer, and I, I still really am learning about Brady Singer. I'm gonna just throw that out there up front. Basically, it's that he could be a three pitch starter. He's a former first round pick. We talked about it on the Friday show a little bit. The fear here was that. If he had a good start against Cleveland, he would not be a secret anymore. And I think that kind of played out in that direction. People are going to be excited about him at least a little bit. I still see more of a streamer than someone we're locking in on for the rest of the season. How he looks against the Tigers, as long as he goes in there and makes that layup, might change my perception and lead me to keep him for another week. But you still don't really trust the Royals all that much. Mm -hmm. And the next matchups, even though it'd be a two-start week, would be at the Cubs and home against the Twins, which is a pretty tough combination. It's a the lower-end two-start week. Maybe you roll them out there anyway. I mean, it's it's at least in deeper leagues something to think about. AL-only league, sure, you can throw them out there for those two difficult matchups. I just... I have a hard time sitting someone on my bench in a two-start week and then justifying keeping them in my roster in a mixed league. So I feel like that's the problem we're going to run into with Brady Singer, even if he comes out again and pitches well a second time out against the Tigers. 
it was really the nightmare scenario against the Indians, unless this is something that ends up being totally for real all season, because he had a great start against a very good Indians offense. Now he gets the Tigers, and then a really tough two-start week after that. It, it becomes a t- question now, today, as you're making your fat bits of, do I want to pay what's probably going to be a premium on Brady Singer uh, for what could amount to one good start or one usable start against Detroit this coming week? It was not what you wanted to see if you were hoping to sneak Brady Singer through cheaply to get him against the Tigers. And I agree. Like I think I, I think I pull back. I think I, I don't change my bid for him for this coming week based on what he did against Cleveland. I just can't. I just can't. He's still the same guy. He's still the same guy who doesn't have a great offense at his back. Doesn't necessarily have a great bullpen behind him. Hasn't ever struck out a lot of guys in his to be, to this time brief uh, professional career. I just can't really get behind him any stronger than I did. I'll throw a bid in on him. If someone is a little bit more aggressive after what they saw from him against Cleveland, then hats off. You can have Brady Singer. I just can't increase what I was already thinking about him because of an admittedly very good start, but just one start against the Indians. I'm probably going to nudge him up a little bit from where I wrote him up over the weekend. I had him as a min-bid player in a 12-team league. Maybe he's more like a 2 to 3% bid there. He was 2 to 3% in a 15-teamer. Maybe he goes up closer to 4 or 5 AL only leagues probably more like eight to ten. That's the hardest thing. You write a column before you've ever even seen a guy pitch, and <laughs> you're just sort of speculating, like, well, is he going to fall on his face? Is he going to be able to hold his own? And uh, fortunately, he he more than held his own. So it will cost you a bit more as a result. Uh, like Beller, I'm not throwing out the fifteen plus percent bid or anything crazy like that. If someone wants to do that, they're going to get Brady Singer, and they're going to be the ones. Uh, thinking about that two-start week that we talked about after the Tigers matchup with the Cubs and Twins looming just around the corner. Uh, I think closers are going to be really a big focus on on this episode. We talked about Pablo Lopez and Eliezer Hernandez on Friday's show. Obviously, those guys are great targets with their two-start weeks. Austin Voth, a great target still at this point as well. So I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot for us to add mm-hmm. here that we didn't cover Friday or that I didn't write about in the column. But it was a bad first weekend for closers as a group. And uh, I got to watch Edwin Diaz's appearances both on Friday and Saturday. thought he looked really good on Friday and looked good until he threw a a pitch that Marcelo Zuna put in the bleachers on Saturday for a game-tying home run. Fortunately, maybe, fortunately, Mets manager Luis Rojas said after the game, quote, he's definitely not concerned, end quote, about Diaz. And there was some weird uncertainty about Diaz being the guy to begin the season, but I think the way he was used in two very close game, very obvious save situations to begin the year kind of gives us an idea of how the Mets are thinking about that situation right now. I think the bigger question we have to break down is, is it worth going after Dellen Batances or Juris Familia and, and having that, that possible next closer up on a roster? Is it worth using a roster spot that way before things potentially turn over. Because if there is a change for any closer job this season, the bids are going to be ridiculous, especially mm-hmm. if it's someone who actually has good skills, and especially if things fall in a way where that new closer gets a couple of saves prior to Fab being processed. So I guess the bigger question here is, is it time to speculate on any of the Mets' other relievers, or do you sit back and say, no, Diaz is the guy. If I'm going to take that chance, I'm going to do it in a different situation. 
I think it still comes back to underlying skill set, which is what I just keep saying with relief pitchers. I think that speculating is fine so long as you're not doing it only because the guy maybe one day is going to be the closer. So Dylan Batances is actually a great example here because Dylan Batances is someone who I am totally comfortable owning, even if you told me today he's never going to get a save opportunity this season. I promise you that. That would be fine with me because he's still a guy who, when healthy, strikes out a lot of batters, has very good ratios. There's value in a pitcher like Dylan Batances, even if he doesn't get one save opportunity. It still has to be based on that. And then if he does become the closer, then you've just hit it out of the park. But you still want to be going after relievers. I still want to be going after relievers who have a strong underlying skill set who are going to be able to provide value to me, even if they don't get save opportunities, because how long is it going to take? And this is Edwin Diaz, uh, so this is just unique to him. But how long is it going to take? How many bad outings would it take for him to actually lose the closer job? It's not going to be just two, right? It's going to take a few bad outings. How many save opportunities is he going to have to actually even have the bad outings? Like It's going to have to be a, like a 100% fail rate over the next two weeks before someone else gets moved into that role. So you already are losing that much time of the season, crossing your fingers for saves. And so I think you just have to be going after relievers who are going to contribute for you, and then if they become the closer, it's almost like a happy accident. Yeah, I do think that's going to be the the best overall approach, right? Like choosing potential closers and waiting who are good enough to pitch in whatever format you're playing in, even if they're not getting those save chances. And I think... Doing that, to me, is, is almost more of a, a way of, of targeting some bad teams along the way, too. I'm looking for the unstable closer situation where there's some good matchups that are going to lead to extra win probability or a vultured save if the game goes extra. We saw some very unusual situations play out. Uh, we had Mark Melanson unavailable because his back locked up. That actually was in the same game in which Diaz blew the save. So it was Luke Jackson pitching two innings. He ended up getting the win in relief uh, as the Braves had a big inning in the 10th to go on top for good in that one. And I think with that bullpen, if, if Will Smith were available, I think he's still the fallback option. I thought A.J. Minter looked pretty good overall. It wasn't the cleanest outing, but he was touching 96 with his fastball, locating at the top of the zone. It was nice to see him pitching well again. I don't think he was ever really healthy last year. He had a it was a car accident back in spring training. And for a guy that we were really excited about a couple of years ago, he just didn't really bring much to the table. That's one more really nice weapon in the Atlanta bullpen if he's healthy and, and pitching more like he was uh, on Saturday. So I look at the Atlanta situation. I don't think there's much to speculate on there. I think I say that knowing that if we get more details on Melanson between now and 10 Eastern tonight when Fab runs in most leagues, you could make a move, I think. Jackson would be the first player I would go after because he had the role for a bit last year. He's a righty. Minter's a lefty. With Smith out there, they're they're down a lefty. So that kind of plays into how a team might manage its bullpen. But I don't think, barring more news on the negative side with Melanson, I don't think I'm spec bidding on Luke Jackson this weekend. Uh, Tampa Bay had a situation that will be frustrating. Nick Anderson got the win. He finished the seventh and pitched the eighth. And he faced Lourdes Gurriel, Vlad Jr., Randall Gritchick, and Teoscar Hernandez. The Rays took the lead, I believe, in the bottom of the eighth. And then Oliver Drake came on for the save. Uh, always fun when a guy who's pitched for about eight different teams in the last three years gets a save in the first weekend. Love the Drake. Hate the Drake. He's, <laughs> he's been a brewer before. Uh, he's No, he's fine. But he uh, <laughs> he's one of those guys that... 
you watch him and he's got the funky delivery, the stuff moves a lot. Like he could be good. Like it it's easy to see why teams keep claiming him and wanting to make him a part of their bullpen. I don't think he's going to continue getting saves. I don't think this is a bidding situation either. I think this is the Rays managing the game correctly, using their best reliever against the Jays' best hitters when the game was close. They were at home. I'm not chasing Oliver Drake even at all, not even with a min-bid this weekend. Those smart teams, man, they're a double-edged sword in the fantasy world. We love them because they do smart things, but sometimes those smart things in real life are things that are work to our detriment in the fantasy world, and this is one of them. I mean, you listed the hitters that Nick Anderson faced and got out, and that's exactly what a team should be doing, not worrying about this invented stat that doesn't really mean all that much and just happens to be the guy who gets the 27th out. That is not what you want to be using your best reliever for. You want those high leverage situations, the situations where the game actually is saved, actually is won. That's where you want Nick Anderson. That's where you want, uh, you know, guys like uh, Jose Alvarado too. And maybe even Chaz Rowe, who I think is uh, you know, a pretty strong uh, reliever for this team. So that's what you want to do. That's what you want. That's where you want those guys. And it works against us in the fantasy world. And I think we're going to have to prepare ourselves for that all season long with the Rays. Yeah, and I think the the order in which relievers are used is really important to dissect on almost a granular sort of level because in the Brewers-Cubs opener – on Friday night, we saw Corey Knable pitch, I believe it was in the seventh inning, mm-hmm. and it was against the, the bottom of the order. I think it may have been the eight, nine, and one hitters, if I remember correctly. And then J.P. Fireisen came in with tougher matchups in yep. the eighth. And I, I sent a text to our Brewers writer, Will Sam, and I said, that was kind of surprising. I would have thought that with tougher hitters coming up in the eighth, they would have used Knable in that spot and pitched Fireisen early. But if you think about leverage and win probabilities, and he asked Craig Council about it after the game, the game was still more winnable a little earlier. So mm-hmm. using your better reliever in that spot was actually what the Brewers thought was the better decision. So uh, as opposed to reading that and saying, oh, okay, Corey Knable's further away from saves than you might think, you really do have to get inside the mind of the team as that situation unfolded to really understand what was happening. And it'd be really easy to just see the order and, and write off the situation entirely but um, yeah that's why the the bat signal went up and I thought oh let, let's find out what's going on here it wasn't just an immediate snap reaction it was just kind of something that stood out to me as, as odd but it made sense you know upon mm-hmm. explanation uh, the Royals did something pretty different this weekend we saw Ian Kennedy pitch two innings and he ended that game on Saturday in the sixth Trevor Rosenthal worked the eighth Greg Holland got the save in the ninth, so really a couple blasts from the pass in the Kansas City bullpen. You know, Ian Kennedy, of course, uh, with a lot of time in his career as a starter, going multiple innings out of the bullpen makes some sense. He was good in the closer role last year, but they had pretty much any path they wanted in that game against Cleveland on Saturday, and that's the one they took. So I think that's a situation where there is some interest here in Greg Holland. I just I want him to be good because it's a it's a fun story to have a guy yep. that is great and breaks down and comes back and gets back to that level. How much do you trust Greg Holland, though, at this point? He's 34. We haven't seen an ERA under four since 2017. We haven't seen an ERA in the sub three range since 2014. So we're kind of going after a guy who's just not the same as he used to be, at least on the surface. 
yeah, I really don't trust him all that much. This would be a situation where I absolutely were desperate for saves because going back to how we started this, he just doesn't have that underlying skill set that you want to find in a relief pitcher who is going to be able to contribute to your fantasy team no matter his role. So if I really needed saves, I could see myself throwing a few bucks at him a little bit later today. I'm not sure if I'm going to be in that position with any of my teams, but it's just something where not only could things clearly easily go wrong, but Ian Kennedy has proven himself to be a reliable reliever for that team and a reliable closer. Trevor Rosenthal is in you know, a very similar position to Greg Holland, right? A once dominant closer trying to get right again. So there are options. There are ways that this team can go. There are definitely way, many different things that they're going to be able to do this season. And just because Holland got the save on Saturday doesn't necessarily mean in my mind that he's going to get even the next save opportunity, let alone be locked into being the primary guy. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I do think Kennedy is a possible drop, though, in a lot mm. of leagues. Like That's a really early entrance into a game, and I don't think Mike Matheny is cut from the same cloth as Kevin Cash or Craig Council. Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty, fair, <laughs> it's a pretty fair statement to put out there. I don't think anyone's going to push back on that. Uh, so I do think with Kennedy, if you're in a shallow like 10-12 team league, he might be one of those guys you have to let go. Fortunately, he wasn't one of those like top 15 round sort of closers. He was mm -hmm. more of a right. bottom half of the draft, bottom quarter of the draft sort of option in a lot of leagues. Interesting thing about uh, Greg Holland, just to kind of close the book on him, he was up a full tick in fastball velocity compared to where he was last season during his outing on Saturday, up at 92.7. But when he was really good back in the 2014, 2013, in that like first peak with the Royals, he was averaging 95, 96 miles per hour on his fastball. So he's definitely lost a couple of ticks. Threw his slider 63% of the time in that appearance against Cleveland. That may be part of his success, going really heavy with the breaking ball and just kind of using the, the fastball occasionally uh, just to keep hitters guessing a little bit. An ugly save for Joe Jimenez this weekend, but a save nonetheless. I think that's a situation I don't really see anybody else to go after. So nothing actionable, just more of a, a footnote at this point. Agree. Uh, we saw Rysel Iglesias enter a tie game. He coughed up the lead, had a terrible outing. It was a bad day for most of the Reds' bullpen in that matchup against the Tigers. Robert Stevenson did some damage to my ratios. Michael Lorenzen served up a homer. Uh, Amir Garrett was sharp, and I think he's kind of interesting if the Reds do make a change. I I've wondered before if Michael Lorenzen, because he can be a little more flexible, he can play in the outfield in a pinch, he can come in the game a little earlier and, and take an at-bat if they want to make a change. They have enough quality hitters, and without the pitchers having to hit, maybe that becomes less of a concern, but I always thought that could keep Lorenzen away from save opportunities. If you were going to speculate, on the Reds' bullpen, for someone to replace Rysel Iglesias, do you have a favorite that you'd actually want to stash away, or is this a little bit like the Mets situation where you trust Iglesias enough to not necessarily take that shot in that bullpen right now? I do trust Iglesias enough, and I think the fact that he came in in that tie game doesn't necessarily say anything about where he might stand uh, for David Bell. But if I was going to speculate, it would be with Amir Garrett. And again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's because Amir Garrett can do things for you that don't have anything to do with him getting safes. Guy's going to strike out a lot of batters, and I think we had to worry in the past about him being a specialist, being the best left-handed arm in that Reds bullpen. But now that we have the three-batter minimum, I don't think we have to worry about that so much with him, and I don't see him being a guy who is you know, open to 
being taken advantage of by opposite siders. I think he's a guy who can succeed against both lefties and righties. He's not a, a huge platoon disadvantage sort of pitcher because of what that stuff is. So he's a guy, another one of these guys who I would be totally comfortable going after knowing that he's going to get me some strikeouts. He definitely could give me some good ratios alongside it. And if the Reds end up having to make a change, I feel like he would be the first guy to go after. But hey, I also produce our Reds podcast here, WARP in Cincinnati, if you're interested. And so I'll ask our Reds beat writer, uh, see Trent Rosecrans this week when we uh, sit down to talk Reds. Yeah. Squeeze an answer out of Trent, make him, uh, (laughs) I will make him make him do some work for the fantasy community. <laughs> he does great work covering the team. I'm sure he'll really appreciate uh, detailed questions about the Reds bullpen. Uh, let's talk about Liam Hendricks just for a moment. Blown save on Friday. The A's ended up winning that game in extra innings. A walk off grand slam. Hendricks was so good last year, mm-hmm. and I know the A's are pretty good at finding relievers and, and turning them into guys. They did that with Hendricks. They showed some patience, kept him around for a few years, and he became one of the league's elite relievers a season ago. I think he's pretty stable for now. I don't think there's a spec bid to be made there. Uh, Is that a situation you're also just kind of waiting on for the time being? Yeah, if Liam Hendricks is in any trouble, then closers shouldn't exist. So, yes, uh, very comfortable with Liam Hendricks and where he goes from here. Two other shaky saves from Friday. Quang Hyun Kim had a rough one against the Pirates. Tommy Edmond had an error that kind of started the fire early on in that outing. I, I don't know if that situation is settled enough to to really like feel good about Kim anyway. I imagine if you if you had Ryan Helsley on your roster and you haven't dropped him yet, maybe you could try to wait one more week before making that change. You know, Giovanni Gallegos is on the IL right now. I still think there's a chance that Gallegos just gets the job back once he's healthy. Mm-hmm. So I would keep an eye on the drop list for this week and see if someone else lets Gallegos go because by this time next week, he could actually end up being a very solid sort of pickup. Uh, for now, Helsley's the guy that I'm holding on to, but I'm tempted to cut him if I have the need to cut him in mixed leagues going into Fab on Sunday night. Uh, and Jose LeClerc, 23 pitches to get a save in that Rangers win over the Rockies as they broke in that new Costco uh, on Friday <laughs> night. Uh, I, I, you know what? I, I, I'm... I joke about it. I love Costco. Like it's <laughs> probably my favorite place to go. Like, like Costco I, I, more than that ballpark. I do. Um, <laughs> I do. It, you know. It, hey, I didn't have to pay for that ballpark, so <laughs> if it looks like a Costco, that doesn't bother me. Uh, but anyway, I, I think Leclerc. I mean, they gave him that extension a couple of years ago. He wasn't as bad as the results would lead you to believe a year ago. There were definitely some issues with command. There were flashes at various points last season where it kind of looked like he was putting the pieces back together. Still struck out a third of the batters he faced Mm -hmm. in 2019. The stuff looks pretty good. I think he's kind of ticking up. He was kind of in the Workman, Ian Kennedy, Joe Jimenez cluster on a lot of sheets going into the season and a lot of rankings. And maybe he could inch his way back up and possibly be a top 15 closer this season. So even though it took him 23 pitches to get through that outing against Colorado, it came away feeling a little bit better about Jose LeClerc, even though I think he's a guy that I literally do not have on a single team this season. Yeah, I feel totally comfortable with him too. Every pitcher, Kirby Yates is going to have a 23-pitch save at some point. Every pitcher is going to struggle. Every closer is going to have their their shaky outings where they ultimately get the job done. They're going to have their blown saves. Uh, I don't think Jose LeClerc is really in any danger of losing this job uh, at any point uh, in the immediate future. So I think you can still feel good about him. He still got the job done. And like you said, those strikeouts were there last year. I expect them to be there there this year. So to feel totally good about him and feel exactly the same about him as I did a week ago when we were drafting. 
So we've dangled a couple potential drops sort of in passing. I think Ian Kennedy is the one of those relievers we discussed who I think is definitely droppable, at least in shallow mixed leagues this weekend. Mm -hmm. This feels like one of those tough lineup periods or fab periods where you're going to have to make decisions you really don't want to make. And by that, I wrote up Gavin Lux and Brendan McKay and Mike Talkman as some drops for this week. And Lux is fairly obvious. I think they're playing the service time game because he got service time in September. It's not just going to be wait a week and Gavin Lux comes back. It's going to be probably three weeks before he gets a chance to play again unless there are a couple of injuries. I think they're pretty content to let Kike Hernandez and Chris Taylor fill the void at second base in the meantime. I think they can comfortably win that division without Gavin Lux, and that really works against him. So as much as I don't want to do it in redraft leagues, I think you're going to probably have to let Gavin Lux go. If the rest of your team is completely healthy and you want to use like one of your seven bench spots to stash somebody, he's good enough to do that. But if you have some injuries, you have some other things going on at that roster that don't make that possible, I think that's the unfortunate cut you may have to make. I think the part about the Dodgers is the, the part that you really have to think about here. We talked about it with Clayton Kershaw when we were speculating on what might end up happening with him. But the Dodgers don't need Gavin Lux in the majors to win that division. The Dodgers don't need Gavin Lux in the majors to go 42-18. and 18 this season. They're going to be just fine with or without him, and they have that luxury to let him sit at the alternate camp, and we'll see him when we see him. I'm sure we're going to see him at some point this year, but it might not be at any point where we can count on him making a significant fantasy impact, so I agree with you. It's a cut you don't want to make, but I don't see how you can afford not to make it uh, this weekend. And with Talkman, I like him too. I, I, I like all three of the guys I wrote yeah. up as tough drops for the article this week. But you have a healthy judge, a healthy Stanton, who homered again on Saturday. Yes. another rocket. <laughs> Dude's got 1,200 feet of homers already this season. Yeah, I mean, I mean Eno's <laughs> talked about uh, StatCast maybe being a little bit wonky because of the changes in technology. But I don't. Yeah. The, eye, the eye test sort yes. of confirms that yes. those balls were hit very hard and very far. But healthy judge, healthy Stanton, healthy Hicks, healthy Brett Gardner. Mm-hmm. And that probably keeps Talkman and Miguel Andujar both in positions where they're not playing that much. Um, you know, an injury at first base to Luke Voigt or something would maybe open up some playing time because they could shuffle things around. I like Talkman and I like Andujar. I just have a really difficult time holding both of those guys in any league with 15 or fewer mixed, or any league with 15 or fewer teams right now. It's really unfortunate because mm-hmm. they can both hit. And Andujar, fortunately, was probably outside the top 200. It's a lot like the Gavin Luck situation, the difference being he's on the roster. You're just waiting for something to go wrong that opens up playing time. And even if that's an outfield injury, Andujar is not going to play. It's going to be Talkman probably just one for one replacing whichever outfielder gets hurt. So I just, this is a really bad situation for both of these players, even though they're both very talented and they're both good enough to start on 25 teams in this league. And it's easy to remember that we got very excited about both of them in February and March when we knew Hicks was going to be out. Judge and Stanton were both dealing with the injuries that they had uh, in the spring. And so we got ourselves very excited just a few months ago about what Talkman and Andujar were potentially going to be able to do for us in the early going of a season that started on time. But now that we are where we are, it's just they're not going to have the playing time. It's just not going to be there for them until and unless there's another injury in the Yankees outfield. And you can't bet on that. No matter uh, the injury history for all three of Judge Stanton and Hicks, you just can't bet on that happening. So I agree. Another tough cut, but I don't see how you hold on to Talkman or certainly Duhar if you've got him on any rosters. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm right there with you. And then Brendan McKay, there's been very little detail about how he's progressing. He was sent to the alternate camp uh, prior to the start of the season. So he was away for about two and a half weeks. Billy didn't work out much. We don't know if he's stretched out or if he's going to have to build back up. We don't know if he was dealing with COVID or symptoms or what exactly the problem is. That's the assumption, is that it was the virus, but I don't think that was ever even confirmed in the case of Brendan McKay. Another guy who I like, but we don't know when we're going to see him next, and you just can't afford to have guys who aren't contributing right now. So even if he's the kind of guy that I'm going to throw 15% of my fab at later if he gets the opportunity again and is going to start like a normal starter, I'm willing to take that risk and have that roster flexibility now. More than ever, you got to be urgent this season, right? I mean, this is, we've said it a few times, but this is almost like a fantasy football style of managing in fantasy baseball this season. You got to think about what guys can do for you right now because what he can do from you, what he can do for you a month from now, isn't going to mean a whole lot if you have a bad August. So I just think that we have to be very urgent, very what can you do for me now? And unfortunately, McKay can't do a whole lot for you now again. Tough cuts, but these are the discussions we have to have. Lux, Talkman, McKay, I think you nailed uh, three guys who should be getting uh, getting the boot this weekend. Yeah, get any tough ones you're thinking about letting go in your leagues? Uh, not yet. I, I actually was uh, relatively fortunate um, in terms of the guys who I ended up with and uh, how the uh, – shortened season ended up affecting them so uh luckily I wasn't uh, I wasn't on any of these guys so uh, I'm feeling pretty clean going into uh, my round of fab this weekend I'm thinking about Mackenzie Gore too I, I'm trying mm, to figure yeah, out sure. if he's part of the gonna get called up at the end of the week because they got the extra year of service time I want to wait one more week just to sort of see because if it's not going to happen then then maybe they're going to wait a bit longer I feel like he makes that team better. I feel like they're actually trying to make the playoffs, and they were even when only 10 teams were going to get in. And they had a shot to do it even when 10 teams were going to get in. Mm -hmm. So for them, why not? Like It's a pitcher. I think with pitchers, you got to handle the situation a little bit differently. You don't want to wait and wait and wait and only have those guys break down later. I think it's more important to get the development right, especially with a guy who's going to be probably a number one starter for a very long time in this league. So... It's a tough decision, but I'm erring on the side of waiting it out at least one more week with Mackenzie Gore wherever I can. Yeah, I think that's smart. I think that's a good call. And actually, someone did just come to mind for me. I've got Will Smith in a few spots, uh, but I'm able to have him on the IL right now. And so I think that that's someone who I want to hold on to. We talked about the Braves bullpen a little bit earlier, and I do think that when he's back, like that's the long-term bet I'm making on a closer in Atlanta. Yeah, that's a good call. I've had him a few places as well, and and in those leagues, I do have IL spots for the most part, so it hasn't really hurt me yet, Um, so I'm happy to just wait it out a bit longer. I think all those leagues have either unlimited ILs or at least Mm -hmm. five spots, so until more players pop up on the IL, at least I am holding Will Smith wherever I can. If you have some players we didn't get to, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Derek Van Riper. He is at M. Beller. You can check out the ads and drops column. Again, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, Go to theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. Get 40% off that subscription, all of our fantasy baseball coverage, and everything else we do on the written side as well. What are you waiting for? Enjoy the baseball on this Sunday. Good luck with your fab bids this week. We are back with you with Under the Radar on Wednesday. (laughs) 